He's gone. He went straight up. I've seen enough. One Baker Five, Kurt, do you read me over? One Baker Five, this is Mooney speaking. I was a little worried about you. I thought the big bad clowns got a hold of you. Over. Mooney, I want you to listen to me and don't say anything. I want you to call the state police and get help. There are clowns and they are killing people. Over. Okay, let me get this straight. You say there are clowns and you've seen them. Okay, Dave, that's it. Screw you and your college flunkies. I've had enough of this from you and from everyone else. I know what you guys are trying to do. Break me down, drive me out of the force. Well, it's going to take a hell of a lot more than a lame prank like this to get Curtis Mooney to throw in his badge. So f*** you. Over. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Cowabunga, dudes and dudettes, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us. In order to find what saves us, this is a very 80s fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your fear of God hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And well, you know, guys, he was here a minute ago, but something was clearly going on at his place. And he kind of dumbly said, well, I'll be hornswoggled, then went to go check on some disturbance. I Hopefully he'll be okay. In the meantime... Allow me to welcome you into our Totally Righteous series, a break before things get heavy again, a series where we're going to be celebrating that era that some of you may not have even been born in, but that birthed such fads as the Walkman and Care Bears. When the times were strange and the things were stranger, it is those fogging 80s. We have three party guests for you today. We have been having some parties here at the show. It's been a grand old time. Uh, our three party guests today are a trio of real American heroes. Yes, friends and foggers. First, please welcome Def Leppard's biggest fan, Blake Collier. Blake, welcome back to the show. Ooh, yeah. Yes, thank you, sir. Pour some sugar on me indeed. Uh, our second guest is the kit to mine and Reed's Knight Rider. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Stephen Beckley, the man, the myth, the legend. Stephen, welcome back. To the Good show, to good, sir. How are you? And last, but certainly not least, uh, 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 referencing here a film uh, at least nodded to last week. He may be a writer, but he is no dull boy. Welcome back to the show, Matt Ruff. Matt, well, thank uh, you for coming back, sir. No, thank you for having me back. I'm part yes. of the family now. It's probably yeah, absolutely. Answer. Blake. <laughs> You're lucky I'm not sleeping on your couch. Hey, you know <laughs> come on over. Uh, Blake, Beckley, Matt. You guys made it through Korea. You can make it through this bullshit. So give me a second while I remind the listeners, the listeners that 
Here at the fear of God, we explore, we don't explain. Except for right now, when I explain that you can listen to the fear of God at your nearest podcast platform, you can watch the fear of God on YouTube. And you, good listener, can browse the fear of God on the web at the fear of God podcast.com where you will find read. Oh, hey, buddy. What's up, foggers? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, oh my gosh. Reed, it's good the gang's to- here with another party. I'm so excited. Grease me, fry me, and call me chicken. I am ready. I am. (laughs) I am ready. Oh, my gosh. I tell you, that opening, uh, so I have to drop a little bit of of fun nugget, and then we can maybe get into some business, but the the Halloween Horror Nights uh, that we attended not that long ago, a couple years ago, they had a maze for killer clowns from outer space, and it, it was, hands down, probably one of my three favorite mazes that i've ever been in just is so fun and it always whenever i see that farmer he was as you were walking up to the entrance to the maze that character was out and like wandering around the end of the maze making all sorts of well i'll be horn swoggled well i'll be greased and fried it was it was quite delightful hey reed Reed, would you say that 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 was amazing it was amazing yes i love that pun that you were amazed i was so I was so amazed. I was, you know, uh, everywhere and the I turned. Times begin. <laughs> they never stop here. <laughs> uh, but Nathan, we got a we got a party too. But you know, before we can start the party, we got a little bit of business. Do you, do you do. mind? Little little I bit of business I, time. I, I don't mind. Okay. All right. All right. Well, let's get a let's get a little bit of the fog business out of the way. First of all, we are in the middle of a sequence of parties here. Okay, but. Listeners who have been following us may know that the first half of the year, we spent a lot of time talking about some deeply rooted fears uh, submitted to us by our listeners with our campaign of hashtag what scares us. And for the back half of the year, we're going to be doing the same thing, but in the opposite direction. So back half of the year, we're going to be talking about hashtag what saves us. So listen back to our precap episode from just a couple of weeks ago where you can check out Nathan and I sort of unpacking the vision for the back half of the year for what saves us. Go to the fearofgodpodcast.com, click on the banner on the top and submit to us your choice for what saves you, what brings you hope, what uh, enlightens or inspires you, what is saving you now, uh, however you determine that. But that is going to dictate the content for the back half of the year. We've already received quite a few submissions, so we're starting to program that up. But please, by all means, if you submitted before to what scares us, you're going to do the same thing. If you've never submitted before and you want to try your hand at what saves us, please go to the website, click on the banner, tell us your story, and uh, help us determine what we're going to be covering for the back half of the year for hashtag what saves us. Very important. We can't do it without you. Yes, um, and Reed, we have yes. a very, very exciting other bit of business time. It feels a bit anathema to plug this while Matt's here, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Oh, so no. um, <laughs> recently, we had an interview with author Grady Hendricks, whose new book, The Final Girl Support Group, has oh, cool. recently released, and thus are going to be doing a contest over, at this point, the next five weeks or so. And what we would like you to do, we have a bit of swag here, namely some final girl support group trading cards, which feels a bit awkward. Uh, but we've got that, and we've got a book. <laughs> um, we've got a book. So we've got a copy of Grady's book. So what we are asking of our listeners is for you on your socials to plug your favorite final girl 
character from film. I, although I suppose it could be from books as well. Um, yeah. from films and tag us in it. Now, the best version of this is, uh, hey, take one of the blog posts of an episode that we have done on that particular film and use that as your post. You know, maybe it's, um, Laurie Strode in Halloween 1978. Maybe it's Laurie Strode in Halloween 2018. Okay, cool. Pick one of those, uh, uh, post the blog cite us make sure we know that you have done so and you will be entered to win a final girl support group bit of swag thank you so much grady for your work and for providing that and that is business time short and sweet i like it all right so everybody i'm assuming has prepped for the pre-game before we this is dr pepper i promise that's all it is uh-huh. um but uh, before we go to Killer Clowns from Outer Space, we've got to take a trip through Hawkins first. Yes. So uh, le- let me let me institute this quite properly. Hold hold one moment, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Hashtag TV Guideposts, where we're going to be visiting with some new friends in Hawkins and all the stranger things that take place there, covering episodes five and six with some of our dear friends. So thank you again for stopping by for this week's hashtag TV guideposts. Welcome to it. TV guideposts. Very nice. Very nice. I see. So, um, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite unfamiliar with this. If you don't mind, we've been inaugurating these segments when we bring them up, uh, just with getting some feedback, uh, on your general thoughts about the show. Steve, I'm going to be coming to you first. Um, I don't know. Your general feelings about the show, Stranger Things, Stranger Things season three, uh, or whatever. So, just what, what's your history with the show? Love it, hate it? Uh, just checking it out. W- what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't know if I would say I love it. I very much like it, though. Um, no, I've watched no. it since the first season, and maybe a few weeks after it came out, after the hype was going strong. Sure. Um, I th- I still think season one is my favorite. Mm. Um, and I didn't quite like season two as much, but. I thought I liked season three the worst, but then after I rewatched a few episodes, like oh, maybe I misjudged it. Maybe it's a little better than I thought. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah, but there's there's still certain elements of season season three I don't think are as good. But I think the character development is really the, this, one of the stronger points. Yeah, um, I would absolutely absolutely yeah, agree with that. I think as I said before, I'm really a fan of stuff like Lost and how that was very big in character development. And so I think this is similar to that in, in that way. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Matt, I'm going to come to you next. What's, what's your, uh, footprint with Stranger Things? How you feel? I about am, it? I have to say it's not my jam. Um, okay. which is kind of a surprise because I'm, I'm in definitely in the target demo for this thing. I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 55 years old. So my, my childhood and adolescence sort of straddles the late seventies, early eighties. And sure, sure. the pop culture references, I get them, the songs. It's like, Oh, it's the, you know, this is the soundtrack of my childhood, but. And I think if I had seen Stranger, if something like Stranger Things had been on the air at, in the 80s, I would have loved it to death and I would still think fondly of it. But the problem is that my tastes have changed. And mm. I, I, the thing I was thinking about how to put this, like when, when the show first hit big in season one, Victor Laval, the author of uh, Ballad of Black Tom, made this interesting comment contrasting with another Netflix show that debuted right then, um, which was Baz Luhrmann's The Get Down. Oh, yeah. Which is another very different kind of nostalgia fest, but it's it's like late seventies, late disco era. But that's also part of my childhood. But it's about scrappy black and brown kids up in the Bronx, basically helping to invent hip hop. And 
for me, because I grew up in New York City, there is still a definite air of nostalgia where I'm recognizing the cultural land post, but it's at the same time, it's it's a part of my the history that was going on in my childhood that I wasn't aware of at the time. So and what Victor basically was saying is like Stranger Things, you you're showing you things you've seen a million times before, whereas the get down is showing things you've never seen before, in part because what the get down is about, it wouldn't have been on television in the 80s. So, and I think that's why it it really resonated for me. And and not just for me, my wife was like, I remember we were watching it and she's like, you know, if you told me I would be this wound up and, and excited about a show that's about hip hop, I would not have believed you, but I love this. Sure. And so, right. so yeah, with Stranger Things, I'm just like, it's, it's not, I'm not saying by any means that it's bad. It's just, it's not to my taste. That being said, um, one of the things that was interesting watching, like I watched from the beginning of season three, I read spoilers for, for the first two seasons to remind myself what it was about. Yeah. Um, and watching that in tandem with then Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which I did watch when it came out and which I still have very fond memories of, even though it's in many ways not a very good film. Um, <laughs> right. But that contrast basically taught me something, made, made me realize something that I hadn't before when I, the first time I tried to watch Stranger Things, which is that it, it may be doing things I've seen a million times before, but it is doing them in a really smart, witty way. And, and in many cases, it's, it's a better done version of the things it's imitating or that it's referencing. Yeah. And I think the the moment that kind of really brought this home to me was, was episode four where the kids are breaking into the secret Russian base and you've got the Erica, the, the sassy, mm-hmm. you know, precocious black girl. And I'm like, Oh, sassy, precocious black girl. I have seen you so many times before. I know exactly. <laughs> I know exactly what you are and are not capable of. You're not going to surprise me in any way. And that's pretty much true. But there's this point where she's climbing into the vent and she's going, commencing Operation Child Endangerment. <laughs> I just started laughing and I'm like, okay, that's a good line. And that's a better line than, than the, you know, the Mark 1.0 version of Sassy Black Girl would probably have been, been said. And that's, I think that's why this show is, is so you know popular is because if you, if you want the kind of thing that it is, it, it will deliver you the best version of it. Yeah, um, it just doesn't happen to be for me. But no but props to that. No, I, I can appreciate. I can appreciate that. Uh, I think that's a really astute observation, uh, actually. And um, Blake, so what were what is your footprint with Stranger Things, just writ large? So I don't think it was the day of the release of the first season, but it was like a like the weekend after it released. That it was before the hype really kind of hit like at the, the height of, you know, that first season being as big as it was. I remember I, I pretty much binged it over, you know, day and a half maybe and loved it. Loved the first season. Um, hit all the nostalgic points for me. You know, I, I caught most of the references, uh, yeah. even though I'm not the best at catching references just because I'm not really paying attention to references. I'm paying attention to the narrative, but, um, yeah, I, I really, really love the first season. I really, really despised the second season. Uh, and so whenever y'all had your classic, uh, <laughs> oh, going boy. at it on the, on the podcast, I was, I, I think that was the moment where I was like, I might like this Nathan guy. <laughs> <laughs> he won you over. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then three was a mixed bag. It, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Beckley said, um, I, I really wanted to like it, and there were parts of it that I felt worked better than than the second season. But on the whole, like 
I feel like I feel like my general uh, enjoyment of the show has kind of lessened as each season has gone, and so I'm, I'm curious to see like if. I'm, I'm hoping four kind of raises it a little bit for me. Um, but the watching sounds the, like it sounds like it will for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll see. Hopefully. <laughs> um, I, I feel like watching the, you know, episode five and six for the show, uh, it kind of made me appreciate aspects of it that I may not have appreciated before. And I really came to the conclusion that stranger things is really just about, uh, the redemption of Steve Harrington. And that's all that matters. And well, you know what? If I'm that's okay the, with that. If that's the situation, then it succeeds with flying colors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, honest to God, like so Steve and, and uh, deservedly so Steve gets so much love. On yeah. the, I mean, like he is, he's a great character. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think we'd mentioned, I think it was last week. We talked that like Steve and Hopper just kind of come fully formed out and they're, they're interesting characters regardless of the show they're in that they they're they're kind of they're kind of strong um so does anybody have if i can if i can jump in there yeah yeah yeah, i don't think steve comes fully formed i think joe curie comes fully formed and the the producers find steve Mm -hmm. because of joe curie that's Uh, because i think that first season it's not so much that he's unlikable which he is it's they've they've typed him as the unlikable kind of 80s bully character and i think that likability of the actor starts to shine through and they just mm-hmm. lean into the yeah. skid. So he was even somewhat um, redeemed at the very end of that. Season. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Yeah. He, yes. he kind of became the protector. Yeah. yeah. That's, absolutely. That, that's kind of the beauty of his character is he, he can't help but protect those kids. So, <laughs> even though he doesn't want to. <laughs> it's true. No, it's quite true. So, they, Oh, can I, can I say yeah, one more please, thing? Please, please. By all means. Th- something about the seasons as they progress, they even, they don't make these seasons from one year to the next. I think they have a year or two between each one. Um, so the, the, the actors and the characters are, are getting a bit older in between each season. So now we don't have children and teenager characters. We have teenager and then the older ones in their mid twenties now. Um, yeah, I think that's part of the reason it sort of loses its allure for me. I, I like it being sort of about kids in the eighties and not, older teenagers and, and young adults in the, in the eighties. Cause I was in my ch- child years and in, in the eighties myself too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, t- I can totally relate to that. Um, so the, uh, so episode we're talking, uh, in specifics about episode five and six. Um, so we'll start with episode five. I'll kind of kick the door down and then we'll just sort of round robin anybody that's got anything to say, particular to this episode or particularly to this pair of episodes. Um, I will say, Love me some Stranger Things homages and little touch points. If there's anything that I feel like goes probably a bit too far in the homage to where it's a little silly is how much that Russian villain is like the Terminator. Like how much he looks, well, how much like Carrie Ellis, the mayor even references him as Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger, doesn't he? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I was like, he does. Okay. We have <laughs> pushed through the singularity into MetaZone, you know? Yeah, it's uh, and I mean, I I kind of like what they do around that plot line in general, but even like it got to the point as much kind of unbridled affection as I have for the show, it got to the point even watching it where I'm like, come on, like come on, it, like it's got the same hair. It reminds me a little of um when you first watched the For- Force Awakens in the theater, and you're like, look at them winking at A New Hope, and then by the end of it, you're like, oh. It's a new hope. (laughs) It just took the script and changed the dialogue. Like that's all they all they really did. You winking at the Terminator, and then uh, it's 
the Terminator. Yeah, like it that really scene is. where he's firing the gun at them. Whether it's I, like it's abs- it's absolutely that. I actually feel so, like the the way that they could have actually salvaged that character or that kind of uh, that hat tip is to have put someone who was big for the the eighties action films, but not well known. Like I kept in my head, I was like, why couldn't they get Dolph Lundgren? Because he's doing yeah. stuff. Like he got him. Yeah. He, they got him for Creed too. So yeah. like. He would have been perfect, and he would have been the perfect kind of a uh, meta yeah, a like stunt casting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't disagree. No, that that actually, yeah. that, that, I, I like that idea yeah. a lot. I think they're actually I do. trying to cast actual Russians as the Russians. Because yeah, that's fair. I looked into it, and it looks like they did. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah. is an actual Russian. Yeah. This is good. Not just a good accent. Okay. Wow. Um, <laughs> I do love, I mean, I even call him Arnold in my notes. Like that's, that's how direct it is. Yeah, of course. But, uh, just a, a random note about episode five that I wrote down is I love that the show knows that Hopper is physically outmatched by him. Hmm. Um, and doesn't give him the easy physical wins. Cause you, you know, we love Hopper. We, we don't want to see him get his ass kicked, but he should by that yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, absolutely. I actually like that that's kind of the case and they have to be a bit more reliant on wits. Than, sure. You know, brawn. No, that's upper. Yeah. He <laughs> never bests. Well, in these, in this pair of fights that they've had so far, and to be honest, I haven't rewatched the end of it, so I can't remember how they conclude with it, but he never bests him physically to your point, Nathan, like in these fights, he kind of, he, he straight up loses the first time, gets not cold for like oh, a yeah. day and a half. And then the second time, gets away almost by a sequence of of good luck that he's able to sort of maneuver away from the fight um but yeah i i, I do agree with that i think it's it's sad that does that lead to a really great david harbour moment when his his i'm not going to yell it the way he does in the back seat when he says the word drive and it's really drawn out yeah. and it's, it's oh, a, yeah. <laughs> i mean it's just hard not to love david harbour in this show yeah, yeah. Uh, he's my favorite character i think yeah he's so he's so likable and there's so much of this emotion that I agree with. Like, I love the stuff. I actually think this is more in six, but I love all the stuff with him and Joyce and the Russian Alexi. Like, yeah. mm. I th- like that whole sequence of things is so great. And a lot of it is driven by you get the tension between he and Joyce because they've got their romance, you know, in play or that, you know, their, their potential. He likes her, but, you know, she's not reciprocating because she's still pining for, for Bob. But um, so there's all of that at play. And then just his perpetually rising frustration at Alexei and not being able to speak Russian and all these other things like he's he's really, really great at all of that. And then there's some great payoffs in six that we'll get to in a second. Um, I had one note here before we get to, you know, other deeper things. And I'll just invite everybody to, to chime in. If you have something else about this episode, um, I love that Steve wins his first fight. Dustin even oh, calls so it good. out. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like, you want to fight, man? Like, it's so great. <laughs> like, I love that piece of it. Um, does anybody, before we get to the, the final sequence in the hospital, does anybody else have anything about the episode prior to that? Because I want to spend a moment on that. I think that was, that was the most memorable part is the yeah. hospital, Ben. Yeah. I think it might be. It's definitely the creepiest thing that this season gives us. It might be mm. one of the creepiest things that the show gives us. That whole sequence That's where great. Nancy and Jonathan are trying to evade the the you know the flayed infected people. Um, well, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I was you know sorry to cut you off there, but the echo your energy there of like it's it's true horror 
energy in that sequence. And, yeah, and Reed, you mentioned not having rewatched the end yet, and I won't spoil what the content is, but I think this season is paced really well. It has some really strong set pieces peppered throughout the sauna test, which we talked about last week, the hospital uh, attack, which happens in these two. Uh, there's a forthcoming cabin attack and then kind of the finale. Like they're just, they're paced really well. They're well choreographed. Um, they don't just repeat a, a, a conflict kind of scenario because that's what's hard with stuff like this. You always, and to me, if I give season two any props, it's that they at least try to not do the same thing. Now, sure. I don't think it really worked, but you know, I do think it's hard with this kind of storytelling to, to not, okay, well, here's your bad guy. And this is, we're going to build to the bad guy. And you know, your, your, your fellowship is fractured along the way and they come back together in order to defeat them. You know, like those are, and even still that's present in this season, but the way they structure it, I think is really smart. I, sure. I agree with you about the pacing in the middle of the season. I felt like the first, episode or two were a bit slow to get going too much character mm. not enough what is this actually going to be about but sure. i wasn't sure whether that was because i i just hadn't watched the first two seasons and i felt like maybe if i knew these characters better i wouldn't mind this as much but as it is i'm just like okay when are we going to get to what's the point of the yeah that was yeah like, yeah well and it, to your to your point there matt i'm less speaking to pace from a uh, a rhythm stamp uh, i'm speaking from when they use the set pieces and what those set pieces are from an action okay. standpoint okay. like sure for instance the sauna test it's a really impactful sequence that you would sort of expect to be later in the season that's all i mean it's just when they mm -hmm. use these big set pieces they're well done i think i think yeah. one reason that i didn't love this season first time i watched it was that they just brought so many characters together you would have these scenes like when all the kids were brought together, like the older kids and the younger kids, and they basically became like a big detective team. They went over <laughs> to the the, the the house where uh, the people had been killed by what was it, Heather and uh, and the yeah. Yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, and they were I, trying to put all the pieces together. And there were some kids that were talking, other kids that were just standing there, really doing nothing, and just seemed like too many people in one place. And that's when they went outside and they were going to go to the next place, and they got in the big station wagon and. Uh, Mike and Will went into the way back and then Will was like, welcome to my world. I didn't really know what he meant there, but uh, <laughs> he's like the, the one of the kids in a family of four. Like, Did you, don't you get a real seat usually? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I totally get it. I th and it's funny because we mentioned last week um, how that's one of the things that the show intentionally does is separates everybody into these little pockets, you know, like, like side quest kind of things. And then works really hard especially where we are in the season talking about these episodes to try to start colliding different efforts together you know like bringing together what uh you know lucas and mike and uh will were experiencing with what nancy and jonathan were investigating and everything and i think one of the things that i had i mean i don't know what this says about the show that i had forgotten this element but when at the end of episode five, what we keep talking about with this this hospital attack, when it culminates in the actual real world rendition of the mind flayer, I was like, this is a fantastic creature. Like it's just yeah. it's really intimidating. It's it's 
it's nebulous in its form and it's and it's also that's part of its ability is that it can you know meld down into the almost like the blob and move yeah. in and out of places but then it can be uh s- something of a shaped solid thing um so I, I i think it's just really intimidating and great kind of monster uh Anybody else well, have anything it, on five before? Yeah, go ahead. Well, and especially about the monster whom I called Glorpy, G-L-O-R-P-Y. Glorpy, because <laughs> that's kind of the sound he makes or it makes or yeah. whatever. Um, you know, like uh, it is what's <laughs> you think too hard about this. It's pretty nauseating. It is the aggregate collection of bones and tissue and guts. I mean, that's yeah. pretty jacked up as far as yeah. what's are arguably a tv 14 kind of <laughs> you know <laughs> enterprise here yeah That's disgusting. of course no no absolutely and and we see this, this gets into the end of six but we see that no like that is taken to its somewhat horrific extreme mm-hmm. in terms of like it's one thing if it was all made up of just disposable rats, rats you yeah. know but now we're starting to get into actually like oh my god no this is the ultimate fate of all these people that it's been sort of uh infecting so um yeah so moving into six so one more thing one yeah thing. go ahead blake yeah yeah, yeah. So there's you know how this works you, oh yeah 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 <laughs> if if you put jake Busey in a in a show or a movie sign me up because i am <laughs> there he's the worst <laughs> <laughs> oh he plays God. he plays that villain role so well <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The poor guy might yeah. be like nice as could be in yeah, real life, but is. he has just got he has just I got the persona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Nathan, have you ever seen The Frighteners? That's the oh, other big so thing good. that I know Jake I mean, from. I I have seen it. I keep waiting to revisit it until for whatever reason we cover it on the show. So sure. and it's also the uh the, the killer in identity. That's right. Oh, that's or, right. Or yes. is he? Uh, oh, one of them. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> right. Um. So. So yeah. So like, I I really love season five ends on that big cliffhanger, the reveal of the mind flare and everything, and then the early parts of the episode. Um. You know, it picks back up with that. One thing that I will say, I have very few criticisms of it because my energy around it is very affectionate. But one of the few things that I that I felt in episode six when Nancy by all intents and purposes, should have been a goner. There's no reason whatsoever why she survives that moment, except that it toys with her long enough for L to arrive. And then L sort of takes care of business with it. And I remember actively thinking here, so this this is a critique that will turn into a positive because I think the show hangs a lantern on it, is that I remember thinking in the moments like, wow, they're just relying on L to solve all their problems. L shows up and L can take care of business. And then towards the last third of it, Mike is the one who actually says it out. Like everybody is careless with her powers. You just expect her to do everything. And, you know, she's going to get exhausted. She's going to get hurt. She's going to get in trouble. And so I appreciated that either the show was self-aware enough to realize that's what it was doing, or maybe it was just some good fortune with that particular character based on Mike and L's relationship that uh, the pretty much the moment in the show where I thought, okay, does L have to do every single bit of the saving in this show that Mike finally yes. calls out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Um, that Mike finally calls out like, you know, like you're just being willy nilly with her powers. You're toying around, like getting her to spy on us just 
like like for your own interests you're asking her to you know spy on this person locate that person and sh- and all of the things that it begins to recognize with her she's not a machine you know and that uh i just really appreciated that that uh that they recognize that out what what else do people have uh commentary of any sort on episode six i think it's at the end of episode six where we have another person that saves the day right and dustin comes in and cuddle prods the doctor that is (laughs) that is a great moment that is a really great moment yeah Yeah, matt what you thinking I was, I was just, yeah, the, the, the little torture sequence where they're beating the crap. I, I don't, I keep I'm forgetting his name, but the, the guy who's getting, it's just reminding Steve? me, my, my dad, who was a, a, cha- a chaplain at a hospital, would always talk about how, you know, real head trauma is not like that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't just shake it off. <laughs> you don't just shake it off. And so, yeah, I'm watching them beat him up. And that was just like, but then there was the later moment when he and, uh, and uh, Robin are tied together in, you know, back to back and they bring in the truth serum and, I just had to look it up. That that to me was sort of almost like a true lies reference. Mm-hmm. But of course, that's nineties, not eighties. But mm-hmm. and of course, yeah, they're going to give him the truth serum, but he's going to keep telling the same story. And that that was also the moment, though, listening to Robin, when I'm like, why is why am I getting this deja vu? Listening to this actress, and I looked her up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Uma Thurman and yeah, Ethan Hawke's daughter. daughter. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I remember so I didn't that look was... that up until after the season was over. After I had after I'd watched it, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was Uma, probably that was form. that was my that ain't right moment for. Things <laughs> your your mind melted like an infected rat. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, let's yeah, say episode six. I mean, I I. Uh, this is fresh on my brain because I rewatched the last kind of 20 minutes of episode six, but there's a look. I think it's when the alarm goes off in the, in the bunker, right? In the Russian bunker mm. that Joe mm-hmm. Curie just gives to the torture yeah. guy. And it's just so good. I mean, yeah. like there are, I, uh, as a person who occasionally and still on a certain level aspires to be an actor every now and then you're like that person they're not really good (laughs) you know all all my creative heads know what we're talking about in terms of in terms of this inner this thing that happens but every now and then you see someone do it and you're like that's good (laughs) i really like what he just did you know like i am not not going to take anything away from that performer there Um, line in front of you you know what it is uh I don't remember it being a line. I remember it being okay. just a look. Just he, a look. He made. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, have the, a, so, I have a line that he said that I really liked. Yeah. What oh, was it? Was, which was one? He was, he was, he was like taunting the, uh, the, uh, the, not the doctor, but the, uh, yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Russian commander. Um, and he was talking about Dustin going back to, to Hopper and that they're going to come in there with, with the cavalry. He said, they're going to come in here commando style guns <laughs> a blazing and kick your sorry asses back to Russia. You're going to be two pieces of toast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, which is a really odd line, but he delivers it really well. Yeah. Um, I do. You know, uh, uh, Matt, you were picking apart head trauma. You know, that's just it's just a fun show, Matt. Come on. No, no, but, no. Uh, I know. I know. I'm playing with you because I'm about to do the. I'm about to do the exact same thing. But at the end of episode six, when the Glorp monster is Avengers assembling the entire town of Hawkins, yes. I'm yes. like, Are we gonna deal? And season four with the fallout that like half of Hawkins has been uh, symbiote venom styled into this monster. Like the, is, long, what? the long answer of that is no. 
<laughs> right, 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 right. But but as these people were queuing up for their time to get absorbed, I was yeah. like, are, are, what's left to attack? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah they, don't come, th- they don't come back, do they? They're not going like, to get like unsano no. snapped in return. Oh no, they're gone. <laughs> they are they are fodder to the wind. Like but they are real just estate like, prices will fall and more people will right. move in. No, yeah. it's true. It's true. It's true. Like, yeah, sure. Because you know, they're going to hear the stories <laughs> from Hawkins. Oh my Got a gosh! Giant magnet under it. You know, depends on how much white flight's going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, in this in this market, Haw- sign me up for Hawkins. Okay, like, is there real estate available in this market? Like, it's like please. Woodsboro and Scream. It's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> oh man! But I think. um so uh, you were talking about like a look or a moment or whatever um, about Steve. Another moment that I really love um, that, that that just really made my heart soar was when Dustin convinces Erica she's a nerd. Oh, yeah. That oh, made that yeah, made me yeah. that so good. delighted um, because her reactions. That actor is that child actor is just she is so in it. Like when he's like you're you know you know everything about politics and you're like just because i don't agree with communism as an ideology i'm like oh man she is <laughs> she sells it to the nines it is a completely lived in moment with both of those actors and i just i think it's pure delight um it just it makes my heart sore every single time um i have one more thing to note about the episode but 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 does anybody else have anything else that they well, want to call out i, oh. I have yeah. well, good. no I you go ahead matt yeah um Mine would be, um, yeah, the, the, the moment when David Barber is basically predicting that so-and-so is not going to drive away. And it's <laughs> great. they really, they convince me that, no, he, he is. And then they come outside and the guy's waiting. And David Barber just gets this look in his face. And one of the things I really like about the way they handle the characters, I actually initially did not, you know, like, I like, I like him because I like the actor, but sure. sure. He's he's an idiot so much of the time in the way he behaves, particularly when he's you know trying to convince the kid not to spend too much time with L. So he's a, he's very much a stock type that you would see in eighties movies, but the, the, they do it in a way that is not. I guess the best way I can say is just he's not. There's never hateful. He's 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 acts in a way that a normal human being would never act on certain occasions, but it never goes to the point where I loathe him. It's more like, okay, you're just, you're just, you know, you're chewing the scene. You're maybe a little here, but then there are moments like that when I'm like, okay, this is, this is really cool. Yeah. He's actually oh. smarter than, than, yeah. you know, he lets on. And, yeah. and sometimes he has a moment. I think the Absolutely. character is very smart. It's just that he has a, he has a temper and, <laughs> And I do, but it doesn't feel like a realistic yeah. temper. It feels like an 80s sitcom temper. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. But to your point on that scene, Matt, what I love so much is is that glint when he starts to doubt himself of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. of what he's committed to. Yeah. But then it pays off. It's it's such a great moment of trying. I love the exchange of, of what set it off, though. The whole uh, yet they have to bring Alexi what he wants first. His, yeah. His, yeah. His snack Cherry. And I, I brought my prop there, the, the Slurpee. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> even, I was even unable to get a Cherry Slurpee, too. I showed up and, <laughs> and Cherry was there. So you're not going to be very forthcoming on this conversation oh, is what no. you're saying. Cherry no. was there. It was just defrosting. I said, how long is it going to take? I said, oh, probably, an, <laughs> probably an hour. Like, what? <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of rickety establishment are you running here? You don't have Cherry <laughs> Slurpee ready for me. Um, so, I do love, yeah, I, I absolutely love the payoff that they give to that because they had me doubting it. Like they had me, they had me thinking like, no, Hopper's an idiot and we're just absolutely gonna, uh, completely drive away with it. Well, I, think that, I think that goes to the stereotype of that character though, is mm-hmm. that, 
is that you're supposed to know that he's an idiot and that this is not going to work out the way he plans. Just like every other 80s and 90s sitcom or yeah. movie or anything like that. And then they actually give it to him and you're like, that's smart. That's actually yeah. really smart. <laughs> yeah. And very satisfying. All the more yeah. satisfying as a result of it. Um, for my money, this, this pivots from the, you know, very satisfying into just the, the, the thrill zone. They set the stage. It doesn't fully pay off in this episode, but they set the stage for what they're going to try to do to sort of eventually redeem the character of Billy. Um, in, in terms of like just showing us through L the flashes that of, of, of his, the hardships of his mm-hmm. life. But this episode, I mean, I, I praise episode five for like giving us the mind flayer scream and then like cutting to credits. But man, when mm-hmm. L comes out of the mindscape, and then it's Billy sort of taunting her with that whole thing. Like I, I, I'm electrified in that moment. Now we great. can see you. Oh man. Like talk about raising the stakes to something. And then like, I forget exactly who first brought it up, but we were all talking about it. Like that idea of freaking like now all of these inhabitants are just toast. They're just gone. And, uh, and, and the, the viscera of that is really intense. Like, They've they've basically framed it to where, you know, according to Billy's threats, this has all been about Elle. This has all been about like zoning in on her, undermining her, overpowering her, and then it all culminating into this like, oh my God, all of them are coming into this massive now the mind flayer will be the size he was in the upside down, but in the real world, in in physical space. And uh that's very intimidating. That's a great that's a great uh power up. To a villain. So the first season was first season was all about the scientists using L to open the doorway, right? And this yeah. season really is all about the the flares from the other side trying to use her to to get out. Really. Yeah, and to well, and to and to basically take stronger root in the real world right. because of the remnant that was that was left here. Um, and uh, and I am curious now. One that we've we've expressed some things, and this may be more suited for like the finale conversations, but like. I am curious what season four will bring us because there are a lot of things about, again, this is probably more suited for the finale, but there's a lot of things about this season that feel closed off, that feel like they're intentionally sort of trying to wrap a bow on it, that with a couple of small exceptions, if this was all we got, I could understand, okay, this is the conclusion of the Stranger Things saga. So I am curious to see how or if they even deal with some of the fallout from some of the things that have taken place, both character-wise and just logistically among the town. Um, so does anybody else have any other, any anything else that you wanted to mention didn't get a chance to? I remember the, the, um, the canisters of the, the green uh, goo, or what do they call yeah. it? The, uh, the ooze. It's, ooze. it's, like, it's the secret like, of the ooze. Yeah, it's like Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja, Ninja Turtles 2. Secret of the yeah. ooze, they're bringing that in there. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> Absolutely. And Erica's like, if I gotta drink something, it's between <laughs> between dying of thirst and drinking this. I'm drinking this. Well, and the, uh, <laughs> the fact that the ooze ends up being a type of homage to the alien. With the I was thinking that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Acid blood gave them a yeah. way out of there through the floor. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was that was really cool. That was really cool. All right. Well, um, I'll bring it on home. Uh, bear with me a moment, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen. That has been another installment, their penultimate installment of this hashtag TV guidepost run, where we've been talking about episodes five and six 
of Stranger Things Season 3. Join us next week, where we will not only be talking about Episodes 7 and 8, but our feelings on the whole of Stranger Things Season 3, the show writ large, its themes, its joys, its critiques, uh, just a never-ending story, if you will, of all the things about Stranger Things. So uh, please join us next week for Hashtag TV Guideposts. like that. I got that reference. Did you get that reference? You like Captain America? So I got that reference. <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you, Reed, for your um, tour guide Barbie of Hawkins there. <laughs> um, this week, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my God! So okay, so killer clowns from outer space. First of all, they they're they're, they're gutsy right out the gate for spelling clowns with a k like come on like they they know okay. what they have they know what they're doing i have to hear from everybody uh just round robin who had seen this movie before your feelings about the movie just in general so we're, so we're gonna we're gonna kick the door down on killer clowns from outer space uh so matt you seem pretty eager and enthusiastic what is your experience with Killer Clowns from Outer Space? I I, I, de- I didn't see this in the theaters. I know I saw it on video, but I saw it very close to the time when it was released. And this is an example of something that, uh, you know, if if I saw it now, I don't know that it would work nearly as well. But it just it just had something that stayed with me despite all of its flaws. And like when I when I was writing down likes and dislikes, basically my my likes basically has two things on it: clowns and John Vernon. <laughs> and the rest of the characters the acting is dreadful the dialogue is completely forgettable but the gimmick of the the alien clowns and all the little bits of business that they come up with that is just really it, it just it was just really got that sort of it's the kind of movie that really i think appeared to the storyteller in me and so i was seeing an idealized version of it even at the time and i still do mm. so yeah. i was just like yeah the you know, as soon as we started with the, you know, the popcorn gun and then the, you know, every, every thing, every time I thought they'd thought of every clown gimmick they could, they would come up with something else. And rewatching it, I was seeing like, oh, that's right. The acid pies, they're throwing pies in the guy and he's going <laughs> to melt. And then, and just, yeah, there's always one thing after another. And that just made the whole thing worth it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, it's like, I, I just remember watching it and I was like, oh yeah, this is again, this is why Stranger Things is actually good is because the, the, these characters are just so forgettable and it's so, it's like, stop talking and get, get back to the clowns. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. They're Blake, either saying what? totally forgettable things or they are, or they are lampshading the fact that killer clowns are really awesome. It's like, I know. yeah no the best scenes are the ones where they're on screen blake what you'd seen it before i mean you voted high for this absolutely i I think it actually was my highest yeah this was your number one you were like if i can be on an episode put me on this one so yeah Yeah, so tell tell me about that so i i don't remember when i saw it i was young um so it was probably one that my sister watched with her friends and i just happened to catch parts of it but the only part of the movie I actually remembered before I watched it this time, because I think I've only seen it maybe two or three times in my life, um, mm, mm. was the part where he's throwing shadows or uh, hand shadows on the wall and, they, and he eats <laughs> right. the people. Um, oh, that's God. the only part I remember. And I remember really that's that scene has stuck with me my whole life. Uh, mm. I, I, when I think of killer clowns, I think of that one scene and that's it. Wow. Um, 
And so for whatever reason, that stuck out to me. And it was a joy for me to rewatch it um, mm-hmm. because it's one that I've always kind of wanted to rewatch just to either kind of hate it for it being worse than I remembered it or, or whatever. But I kind of just loved every moment of my, even though it just what, like what Matt, what Matt was saying is characters are forgettable, except for the brothers. I think the brothers are kind of funny, actually. Mm. Uh, the ice cream yeah. brothers. They're the um, closest thing to something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the dialogue is crap. Um, <laughs> but man, I, just really like how they set it up and how they keep coming at you with these, you know, like Matt said, these new um, tropes of clowns. Right. Um, right. And basically just like subverting them in, in really um, messed up ways. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's a, that's a thematic thing that I kind of took from it that we'll talk about maybe later. Um, but cool. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love this film, and, and I would I would totally watch it again. It's it's yeah. a popcorn film, and and I I think I love it for that reason. See what you so. did there. Yeah, I, own, exactly. I own it. I own it now. Yeah. Thanks to you guys, by the way. That's, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's awesome. You yeah. are welcome. That's right. So, Steve, what's uh what's your history with it? What's your affection for it? Well, I I had seen it in my youth too. I think I watched it uh, in the early '90s, which is probably around five years after it came out, right? Uh, mm. Uh, in my middle school years, I think it was heavily featured on some premium cable channels. Um, <laughs> so I think I would see it, saw it a few times like that, uh, but I don't think I had seen it until till now in maybe 25 or 30 years. <laughs> wow. It was, it was fun to revisit it. I think the thing that st- stuck in my mind most was the cotton candy um, mm. <laughs> and the, the cocoons. I, think, I thought that was cotton really inventive. I mean, it's probably reminiscent of like uh, a Invasion of Body Snatchers. But, oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think the, the, originally the uh, when I was young, the, the catchy title, unusual premise, caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, clowns from outer space. What is this about? <laughs> I have to see this. So. Well, and they have their own theme song. Come on. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what really hooked me once I once I turned it on was the theme song. That's even stuck to my head, <laughs> stuck in my head over thirty years. <laughs> I knew I knew what that was going to be when I turned on the movie. In the there's a there's a playlist I have that is horror movie rock anthems and it features of course you know pet cemetery by the ramones it features dream warriors by Dawkins, and it has killer clowns from outer space like right up there like in in my top five of like that is a great it's a very infectious energetic kind of tune uh it just it, it can immediately kicks the door down um the first time i saw this and i honestly can't remember when i did all I remember about it is that the first time I saw it, I kind of didn't get it. And I was, I was a bit disappointed because I felt like I was like, ooh, kill. And I, I don't know if I was maybe riding the wave of like Stephen King's It or whatever. And I was thinking like, ooh, this is supposed to be like super creepy. Like this is supposed to be like really super scary. <laughs> and so then I watched it and I'd be like, mm, I mean, these are, these clowns are kind of goofy, you know, like I, I didn't really, but now what's, uh, you know, quickly pivoting away from that maybe five, six years later, I revisited again, having seen what it was like, and I immediately caught the wavelength. And now this is one of my, this is one of my favorite, like, repeat delights to just go back to and just be like, it's like, like everybody has said so far, it's silly. It asks very little of you and gives quite a bit back if you're on the wavelength for like a zany, ridiculous half uh, hour and a half of your time. Um, now, Nathan, I think, 
if I remember, and you can you can fill me in on this, this was one that you thought you had remembered seeing, but what was your experience of it like this time or like exactly what was your history with it? Uh, well, fun little fun little fog peek behind the curtain. A, a childhood chum whom I actually referenced on um uh Hellraiser. Hellraiser. What? What? Beckley, this is your job. (laughs) (laughs) You're here. Tell me, Beckley, who's my childhood friend? Um, (laughs) When when and why did I know him? And what's the story related to it? Go, please. Um, (laughs) So, no, um, uh, his name's Lucas. I referenced on uh, uh, Hellraiser about going to the arcade. And I have this, like, this memory and and blake you referenced the shadow puppet scene but i don't have a a recall of having watched the film i just Mm -hmm. i just knew imagery and so because of that in my mind it was scary Mm -hmm. and when i was making a what scares us list for a moment in time, it was on it, and, and and Reed can attest to that. Not because I knew, but just because okay, this lodges in my brain, and and in the recesses of my memory, maybe maybe that as you know, kind of, if you submitted to what scares us, you know, you know, you you, you kind of have these selections gurgle up, and and kind of make your selection based on that. And I did briefly ponder it, and then started reading about it before knowing we were covering it for uh, those fog and eighties. And, and reading about it and seeing the tone described, I was like, Oh, that's okay. No, I'm not going to do that one. Just, just cause I didn't realize the tone was as zany or, you know, non true horror as it actually is. Um, and so, so no, I had not seen it in its entirety or if I had, you know, but what's so funny is this movie, I think like certain things like it for certain generations, it has this mythical quality, like mm. for me, at least maybe, maybe I'm speaking for solely myself, but it had this mythical quality. When you talk about people's inherent fear of clowns, like this is what you think of, <laughs> like this is the imagery that comes to you, whether you'd seen it or not. And so <laughs> it was kind of odd to watch and be like, huh, <laughs> this is, Okay. <laughs> I think a, an, an easy criticism of this movie is that how can these townspeople see these clowns and, and not just run away screaming? I mean, these these aren't just people with clown makeup. These are these are grotesque blob-like faces with uh, with really bad teeth and and, and, sure. and like yeah. giant grins on their faces, and they're they're scary. They're legitimately scary. Um, but what's a clown? Maybe it's really like an extrapolation of what people who fear clowns actually see in their minds. Yeah. Uh, mm. I don't know. Yeah. But they're so, from other states. So. Uh, <laughs> they're aliens, too. Well, and I love the, the, the kind of wink the movie makes at one point. I don't remember who says it, but of like, maybe our knowledge of clowns is actually some dormant or latent latent uh sort yeah. of recollection of alien class like right. it's, it's the guy it's, it. it's, it's clowns it's the i'm not gonna character. say aliens but 
it's aliens. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. Well, yeah. Matt. No, I think that's the dark-haired boyfriend whose name I forget. But yes, of, I, th- yes. I think he's the one whose his job is to extrapolate stuff. Yeah, I love I love that you have to denote which boyfriend because there's still <laughs> three. Yeah. Mike, Mike who was the, the one on the date in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. You know, he actually Mike. has um, a last name in the credits. That I don't know if they say it. It's they tobacco. never say it. No, Mike Tobacco. What? Tobacco. Oh, yeah. tobacco. I did see that. I did see that. <laughs> Which is just perfect. Of course it is. Of course it um, is. Mike Tobacco. Do, before we before we drift too far into the big top here, I did want to do a little exercise for us. So, uh, um, two weeks ago, we looked at box office of the '80s and top box office of the '80s. Uh, last week, uh, unbeknownst to the three of you guests today, we did the letterboxed rundown of the top. I, I suppose you'd call it popularized via letterbox uh, yes. films uh, in each year of the eighties. This week, we're going to look at Metacritic uh, for <laughs> what in each year based on critic reviews are the top films of the eighties. And I guarantee you killer clowns is on this list. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is a fun list. So in 1980, with a Metacritic score of 89, three points ahead of its nearest successor, is the Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro film, Raging Bull. Deserves mm. mm. every bit of it. Raging yeah. Bull. It's a very Followed good film. Across by, all genres, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Highest this rated. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just highest, uh, yeah. Highest critic rating. Um, followed closely by Ordinary People. Um, that's 1980, Raging Bull. 1981 film i have to my knowledge never heard of I've uh, heard this. the decline of western civilization anyone i've heard of it i haven't seen it it's, i think, it's, it's, a, I think it's, it's a mockumentary about um heavy metal uh yeah, that sounds the right scene. the los angeles punk music scene circa 1980 is the focus of this film with alice apparently it's a mockumentary whose subjects didn't know it was a mockumentary that's, that's really? what i heard yeah oh wow, wow. Wow. I'm okay. not sure. I'm not. Don't don't quote me on that because I I haven't actually seen oh, it. But I just remember. you've been quoted now. So okay, well <laughs> you, you just quoted yourself. Um, <laughs> interestingly, number three on this list is Raiders of the Lost Ark. So number two is Blowout. Uh, John Travolta. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. a great movie. Blowout's a good movie. Yeah. Really? Well, yeah. that must be the critics of 1981 loved it. 1982. <laughs> um, Scoring a 91 on Metacritic is, uh, it made our, uh, definitely made our box office list. I can't remember. Did it make the letterbox list read as ET, the extraterrestrial? Uh, it was not the most popular of 82. 82, uh, was Blade Runner for popularity. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. 83. I've actually not seen this film. It is the right stuff. I've heard great things. That's good. Right. Great. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, 84. Now this. That's awesome that this is the top of the list. Is this is Spinal Tap? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. amazing that that's highest rated I, among critics for rated. that year. Crank it up to eleven. That's right. <laughs> uh, the Terminator is at number four of that year. Hmm. Um, Nineteen eighty-five. Also unfamiliar to me is the film uh, Ran. R A N. Oh, it, this one is Ron. A Lear. Yeah. Ron. Yeah. 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 A, a Lear adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, Kira Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. interesting number three is back to the future um dave courtney had a very spot-on marty mcfly costume on last week <laughs> <laughs> he did he did 
Was that 84 or 85 that I just said? That was 85. Uh, okay, cool. Yep. 86 is a great year. Uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System <laughs> came out that year. And Hannah and Her Sisters was oh, the yeah. number one hmm. rated film of that year. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> What's the laugh? Ah, uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, in 1987, the number one rated film of that year was Platoon. Yeah. It's really amazing. You guys who are guests today won't be as familiar with this, but there's very, there's not that much overlap between the letterbox list, the box office mojo list, and this list. There's a lot of yeah. deviation. What is what yeah. is that based off of the Metacritic? Is that critics at the time that the movies came out, or presumably, presumably. It's like a slightly better Rotten Tomatoes? They yeah. they have different criteria. I, I tend to I, Metacritic feels. At least their criteria feels more, I don't know. Yeah, it's a weighted average. It's a weighted average as opposed to Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is just a clean average. I would would think most critical reviews came out at the time the movies came out. So if you ask critics today, they might have a different idea. Yeah. They might. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, in 1988, they awarded Au Revoir, L'Enfant. That's good. That's a good movie. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I thought you were applauding it's, my French. It's, it's sad <laughs> as hell, but it's good. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of the, that. uh, that, this is, yeah. this is a remarkable two weeks in a row with an arrested development reference. That reminds me of the movie that maybe and George Michael go to see together about the cousins who <laughs> yeah. fall in love with each other. Um, that's, 19- that's what happens when you take, uh, take three years of uh, French in high school and four semesters in college. So you what? watch right. a lot of French films. So, all right. Um, I do like Amelie though. Yeah, um, number one of 1989 ahead of Spike Lee's do the right thing is grave of the fireflies. That is a, that I is a very affecting. That's a very affecting really? movie. Yeah. I've it does not surprise me. It's number it. one. Animated, it's but it's very serious drama. It is heavy as can be. Yeah. It is oppressive. It's very powerful, but it's oppressive. Very yeah, oppressive. Like post-war Hiroshima. Yeah. yeah, this is a mm-hmm. this is a really good segue while we're talking about post-war Hiroshima. Um, <laughs> is I, I'm going to get us there. I'm going to get us there. So we just listed a bunch of movies, uh, you know, and 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 this is ostensibly a movie show. And um, the film we are the movie we're discussing today, you know, the film Tomato Tomato, um, features a lot of confectionery goodness to it. You know, from cotton candy cocoons to a popcorn gun to acid pies. You know, just like grandma used to make. Um, I'm curious from you boys. So I don't know that we've ever actually kind of indulged this type of com- this type of question here is what is your like if you're going to watch a movie? What, oh. what do you want to eat? What is your what is your mm. confection of choice? Hmm. And we can ignore the sort of, you know, uh, overlaid sense that killer clowns brings us, which is we're going to turn into our confection of choice, but ignore the, mm-hmm. the negative sort of side of that question. What is, has been, or has become perhaps, what do you, what do you like to sink your teeth into? When you're we're talking about in the theater, pick your poison, Matt, you know, mm-hmm. at, home? at home, it's just whatever, whatever I feel like eating, but mm. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that thing, because, because, you know, we have, we, we've, we're all adults here and we know, okay, we can't always indulge these things. But if you were, if you were to just be like, this is what I'm going to go get because all bets are off and I don't care. Uh, what is that thing? Reed, I'm going to start with you because you're, a, you're a snack guy. 
Yes. I know, um, I know you're not a big sweets guy, but it doesn't matter. No, Just no. go well, where your heart tells you. In the so so uh cholesterol. Taking a cue from Matt, if I'm at home, it's chips and salsa full stop. Like if I'm at home, Amen. it's chips and salsa. Yeah. Um but if I'm in the movie That's theater, like meals for you. <laughs> really is. Like when do I stop eating chips and salsa? Like it doesn't have they have to run out or I have to die. We're off screen right place. now. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, um, Security blankets. So but um, just recently, and this was my the last time I saw a movie was in January of 2020, before everything shut down. Just this week, as of this recording, just yesterday, I finally stepped back into a movie theater to see A Quiet Place 2. Loved it. Nice. Side note. Um, but when I walked in, and this is the answer to your question, when I walked in, the thing that I most notably recognized was the smell of movie theater popcorn. And that mm. is my concession of choice movie theater popcorn with all the butter and salt is my concession of choice when i'm in the movie theater there is no substitute for me that's my that's my pick and i was so overwhelmed with the just the delightful smell of it when i stepped into the movie theater it was great it was the first thing that hit me so um it must it must be laced with an illicit substance that movie yeah. theater popcorn like mm-hmm. it doesn't deserve to be what it is no i agree um i'm gonna pick beckley what is your? You all had good choices so far. I do like eating uh, chips and salsa because that makes you sit up and <laughs> dip something. And you're not going to fall asleep while you're eating it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, who would do that? Could, but uh, yeah. <laughs> you wake up and you have salsa down the front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's Reed's nightmare. I just have to eat the shirt now. Like that's <laughs> no, <laughs> no substitute. But, uh, and and I love the I love the smell and the taste of uh, movie theater popcorn too. Uh, but uh, just to say something different, I, I I am a candy person, so I would love uh, uh, getting a, a box of uh, Goobers or M and M's and taking that in the movie theater or at home. Uh, very nice. Yeah. Very very nice. Speaking of Goobers, Matt, what you got? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, part, part of me still back on Decline of Western Civilization, whether it's actually a documentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch that, and, and I'm gonna feel really stupid if it turns get out back it's to not. Us. I read that. <laughs> It's one of those things where I, I recently read somebody reference it that way, and then I just like pass it along as if it's my own idea, and I'm like, yeah. it's probably totally wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you're feeling all this insecurity and self consciousness about it. This is that, yeah, this is that writer thing that's really great when you're trying to keep a plot together, but then it turns around and bites you when you're yeah. doing trivia. Anyway, but um, speaking of biting, uh, I will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with junior mints though. Junior mints are definitely my mm. drug of choice if I'm if yeah. I'm eating at the movie theater. Nice. Junior mints. Oh, that's, that's a good that's, one. That's one that hasn't been said yet. Blake, what about you, friend? Uh, so I'm gonna say if I'm going for non-sweet, it's it's movie theater popcorn all the way. Mm. If I'm going for sweet, it's sour patch kids. Ah, nice. uh, you and my son man. Like some yeah. loves him some sour patch kids. Love it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So my wife a number of years ago um, taught me about how to mix sweet and salty when it comes to treats and she taught me about <laughs> i was trying to find a joke there and it just didn't really work uh in the moment i didn't plan well enough in advance um but, abandoned ship yeah yeah <laughs> no i'll find it i'll find it and then i'll, I'll give me five minutes so i'll come back and then yell it out during the during yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'll be hot and heavy into the theme, and he'll be like, "I got it." Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Exactly. You just made <laughs> like, it for me. Yeah, you don't have to be a man. Hot and heavy. 
<laughs> no, but no. Uh, 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 sweet and salty treats, which is, you know, have your popcorn and dump M&Ms in it. Mm. It mm. works. Go for it next time. You'll thank uh, me. But something. Uh... <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't knock it till you try it. That's what I was taught in marriage. Um, is... <laughs> Members only. Um, (laughs) But I do love a Reese's cup. But a recent discovery that I'm really angry at my brother for introducing me to because it's 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 insanely good and I pick it up far more than I should is sweet tart ropes. You familiar with these? I feel like I've had them at one point, but I don't Mm. I don't remember anything about. They're really good. They're they're. I think I've seen them. Yeah, they're dangerous. You'll see them next time in the grocery store, and you'll be like. <laughs> I'll get those in. Uh, I will. Ha- I will have you to blame. Yeah, yeah. Welcome. You are welcome, sir. <laughs> um, well, okay. So that that has Good been time. some delightful diversions. Uh, I think I think we really need to do this movie right. And there's no better way to do this movie right than nice. by talking about all the things that are not just wrong; they ain't right. So, boys, get your list together. Andrew, cue the music. Sure as hell ain't right. Thank it's you time. very much. It is time for that, that ain't right. Ain't right. Um, <laughs> this movie has a bevy of opportunity for <laughs> that ain't right. Um, Blake, I am gonna go to you oh. first. Wow. So, as you're perusing your requested list of note taking during this film, uh, lockbox. <laughs> hit me, hit me with your most. That ain't right. So, so few things in the movie actually like are offensive because most of them play as really silly. Sure. Um, but I will say that, that the, that the candy, the cotton candy cocoons, whenever they pull back the, the cover and you see the, uh, bloody red mess of a face. Yeah. That's actually, that's actually pretty effective and it ain't right. It ain't right. That ain't right. Put me off cotton candy for a hot minute. No, yeah. like, not like no, thank you. I mean, I if you like liked it in the first candy. place, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? Y'all like, are like kind of, cotton- like literally. I have this weird thing uh, about texture, and when I just said I don't like cotton candy, I felt the texture, and it yeah. sent a chill up my terrible. spine, like Will oh on gosh. Stranger Things. <laughs> like that happened. That was real. <laughs> like wow. Oh my just gosh. How about, how about when the clown goes in with the, with the twisty straw? Uh-uh. Uh, yeah, like goes uh, yeah. for it and like drinks it out. Yeah, that ain't right. Yeah, what's he no. drinking there? Mm. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, ain't, that right. ain't no, that ain't right. <laughs> All right, Steve. So what's so maybe that was it? But what was your most? That was that one on right. my list. Yeah, but uh, I have a few others here. Um, I think one of the biggest ones, uh, one of the actual truest, scariest moments in the film, I think, is uh, when when Officer Dave goes back into the the, the dark uh, police station mm. and sees uh, Officer Mooney. Turned into Mooney a dummy. Yeah, he turned intense. into a puppy. He said, "They'll never make a dummy out of me." And what happens? They make a dummy out of him. Look at yeah. there. <laughs> That's <laughs> a payoff if everyone existed. <laughs> yeah, I mean the way the way he's a puppet for the clown, and the the, the puppet speaks. No, well, well, the puppet speaks. Yeah, the puppet speaks, but the clown is speaking through the puppet, Officer Mooney, saying, yeah. "Saying what? Um, don't worry, Dave. 
all we want to do is kill you. That is that's one of the movies like legit scares. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. like well, and and it culminates in that. Am I wrong? It culminates in that nasty. He like yeah. licks his hand. Yeah, get it all red into that. Yeah, that ain't right. That ain't I mean, right. <laughs> it ain't right. A whole lot. And then, and then he takes his bloody arm and. Yeah, yeah, it's, right. uh, it's just disgusting. And sound effect. You I made me think of uh, at, at least two other movies. That it was I don't know. One one was uh, one it might have been referencing is The Shining. I was thinking like when Jack says to Wendy, what they say like, "Don't worry, Wendy. I don't want to kill you. I just want to bash your brains in. Bash your brains in." And then yeah. another movie that came years later, which I don't know if was inspired by Killer Clowns or what, was was uh, Independence Day when the alien is using uh, Brent Spiner to say what. With what he was planning, right? Yeah, no, it's a, yeah. it's absolutely, I, yeah, very well could have been. Killer Clowns probably influenced way more yeah. than it ever gets yeah. credit for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like that dark horse, you know, creative thing. <laughs> um, Matt, coming to you next. What, uh, what of what has I, not I, been I, named? Oh, yeah. what has not been named? Because that, that, yes, that, yeah. that last one was definitely on the top of my list. I guess the 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 one that hasn't been named yet would be um, the implied clown sex between the uh, ice cream brothers and the <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. and the two female clowns, particularly the one with the inflatable breasts. And like they, you know, yeah, they we just see them kind of smiling at them, and then the next <laughs> next time and we see bright. the brothers, they're covered with kisses and their clothes are shredded, and that's all they say about that. But I was yes. just like, okay, can I? <laughs> I'm going to tell a really funny story related to that. Oh, you really? It was always a great time. It was always a great time for an interjection. <laughs> you have a funny story related to that. Yes. So I tried to watch this movie last night and I got to be real honest. I fell asleep. Um, when, cause, but, but you just clicked something for me, Matt. I fell asleep when the ice cream bros and the, the clown gals encounter each other. And so this today, I was like, okay, well, I fell asleep. I need to go back and finish the film. And I did. And I got to where I thought I was. But where I began was the boys running in with the kisses all over their face. And I was like, why did that happen? I don't remember. It's okay. But so you just connected the dots for me. So thank you for that. that. Wow. Now, this is a perfect film, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Nathan, I'm going to give you uh, the honors of going next. What's what's your most right? I'll I'll go after you. There's a lot of whimsy, a lot of just grotesquerie here. And uh, I do think the, the creature design of the clowns is pretty epic, if I'm being honest. But I had the I had a visceral response. The, some of you know this, but we just got a puppy about three months ago. Oh, no. And I had a I had an active, strong response when that dang dumb clown took the cactus cooler man's dog and yeah. i was like hell no boo. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. is it boo boo bear boo yeah boo bear. Boo bear. Boo bear. Yeah, that's boo right bear. and that old turner and hooch up in here and he's like i ended up in a horn swaggle and what in blue blazes with the cactus cooler you know oh my gosh. it's that guy <laughs> he's yeah. out with the clowns in the cornfield reed i'm telling you in a cornfield clowns yeah, in a cornfield with the cactus good. in the cooler yes that's a deep cut joke Beckley gets it um <laughs> So yeah, when when the dog gets got, I was mad. I was like, no, sure. that is not cool. It ain't right. No, no it, ain't, it right. ain't right. No, it ain't. What about right. you, Reed? Um, oh my God, there's like, I'm, uh, there are two that I'm actively trying to decide between. Um, I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
I'm going to go. Okay. So I'm going to go for the, well, first of all, before I mentioned that that ain't right, you called out the creature design. Got to, got to put it on record. These are the, I don't know if it's Chiodo or Kyoto brothers, but these are the guys who designed the trolls from Ernest Scared Stupid. And, oh, and I, I love, I love it. They're, they're yeah, <laughs> their, their skill at crafting outrageous, absurdist, and yet somehow very effective monster creature designs is really, really potent. Um, okay. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? I'm, I'm not going to go too deep down this path, but this evokes a, uh, an actual fear. A thought that I have nearly every time that I, as tastefully as I can put it, need to relieve myself. But freaking <laughs> popcorn in the bathroom that eventually turns into a freaking toilet snake clown up from the from the toilet attacking that her is an intense. That ain't right. It ain't right. You just made there. Well, yeah, because no, like, I mean. I'm not discrediting that. That's yeah, like you've just instilled a new thing in me that I'm afraid of. Well, every time that I've been away from my home for longer than, say, a week, the very first thing that I do is go to each of the bathrooms and flush the toilets because I have no idea. Really? What, That's a thing? What might have you do that, that? It's a thing I do. Yes. Like I go around <laughs> and I flush the toilets You're because I don't know. Because I don't know. Because like, because I don't know. I've been gone for a week. Okay. Like it's amazing is like, I would have thought I love, this is why I love the fear of God. And <laughs> it's a party. Cause we just learn new things about each other, about each other. I love that. It isn't you flush the toilet at other people's houses when you need to go as a, as a starting point. It's you come home. <laughs> now yeah. it's time to flush every toilet. <laughs> you don't know, man. They nestle under there for water true. and you don't know. And so like, you just gotta, you just gotta fair. make sure it's fair. Point. Like, listen, you're gonna think about it the next. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like I am. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm like, I'm and so, okay, just so you know, from tonight after this is over, I'm going to go to the toilet to relieve myself, and I'm gonna tremble as I lift up the lid. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it ain't right. I'm telling you, man, it ain't right. It ain't right. And they they tapped into Step that back. with this friggin' like the popcorn like turning into this big because it's one thing like the popcorn is apparently you know, sentient, but then it's got like this toilet, like, I don't know, this, this long spindly clown headed mm -hmm. snake thing. I'm just like, no, 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 that it, it just ain't right. It well, just it just right. begs a lot of questions. Like, so the popcorn is itself just seed for, and it just needs moisture. Like, cause it goes in the hamper. <laughs> uh, theoretically, there's some dampness to a hamper. I don't know. Man. And then it's in the toilet. Yeah, do you remember There's like, another spot, right? There's do you three think that's spots. like some sort of clown scientist, bioengineered <laughs> bioweapon? <laughs> or do you think that's just the uh, the larval stage of the killer clown? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I like that's, it. That's, I mean, I don't ooh. like it. What game but... first? The pop? No, I do like that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's just Matt's taking this, notes. This is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the pop. The popcorn is the face hugger of killer clowns. Yeah. Like that's their Ooh. that's their sort of thing. Them out of their do, guns, but it's the butt hugger. Attached to people. <laughs> do we have killer clowns to thank for Prometheus? Oh, maybe. I mean, see, that's the thing. It's we all are, connected. We are right now laying the, the gift that keeps on giving for the yes, Ooh, for the yes. scholarly Flush studies. That toilet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but no, no, no. Twice for good measure. There's, did, there's, you, did you look into any of the trivia, or did you already know about like uh, uh, if they're planning a sequel and what happened to that? Or oh no, I didn't. Do you? No, no I, heard I didn't. Some of it. Yeah, that 
that they had been planning a sequel for a long time. It just never really got off the ground. Uh, mm. and it was it was close to getting made, and I think Fox had the rights to it. And and then when Disney bought Fox, they just uh, nixed that idea. Wow. Oh, that's man, so this, it's it ruining was, everything. It's going to get worked into the MCU somehow. <laughs> Dude, I'd love to see that. Yeah, <laughs> it's some Duck sort of post-credit it. things like 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 Howard the Duck was at the end of one of the movies. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> They'll put a killer clown in the in the collector's oh, room yeah. in your toilet. Gosh. Oh my there's, gosh! There's going to be a, a water war taking place in the not too distant future in the real world, and it's going to be Reed's fault because he flushes the toilet 15 times before he goes. Hey, now, I didn't say, how did this suddenly turn into like, oh, I've I've got OCD on the flush? <laughs> it's one time through because I've not been there for a week, so I'm just saying. Sure. Yeah, are you, are sure. you afraid of like germs and viruses growing <laughs> in your toilet? No, no, That's... I'm afraid. No, I'm afraid of actual living things actual that have decided Reed, uh, Reed. that have decided That's... to nestle under there. Each flush is one step closer to the water table being devoured. Okay. Just saying, just put All it right. out there. <laughs> but but each non-flush is one step closer to not realizing the spider had decided to take you know root under there. And, okay, arachnophobia. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But or um, the alligator. Yeah. <laughs> or the way. snake. Okay. Take us out, Reed. Okay. Because this so, ain't right. <laughs> no, this is right. This ain't right. All right. So, Andrew, hit it. That sure as hell ain't right. All right. <laughs> so, can I? Okay. So, in the, uh, can I say? You can. Uh, I need. I need to pour a little love. And on you will. The the I will on the dark haired boyfriend Mike Tobacco. Um, get his last name in there. <laughs> I, love, I love that he has through most of this movie just a perpetual WTF face on everything. Like everything right from the first time we see him when the ice cream brothers show up and he's sitting there with the girl like what are they doing here? Like, I don't understand. And every single time he's forced to explain the cotton candy goop, whatever, I just love this actor has just completely embraced the WTF face, whether it's riding in the back seat of the cop car with his ex, you know, the, his girlfriend's ex boyfriend, uh, or trying to explain to Officer Mooney or anybody else what's going on right here. I just, I absolutely love that he's just perpetually like, who, who well, gets it? He's like I constantly mean, shrugging. He's he he kind of earns that shrugging. I mean, I was thrown when he's in the cop car in the back seat and old old Blondie. He's like, that's that doesn't change the way I feel about you, Debbie. And I was like, like gum. This is about to get wild up in here. <laughs> Poor old Mike Tobacco in the back. He's like, y'all know I'm here, right? Like I, I, I love, can hear everything we you need, say. I, I I you know, let's feel free to to note Mike there, but it is also fun to just note some lines. I love Debbie's line. I love it. I don't believe in UFOs, but if they do exist, then we're in one right now. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I can't tell if you're advocating or not. It's right. like what are you what are you talking about? Like <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't believe in it. But if it were here, that this was is, this that was it. the beginning of QAnon right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. no, I actually like that. Too real. It's not too real. Yeah, just too, too real. real. <laughs> too real. Oh. I don't believe in this fake reality, but I know it's real. Another piece of trivia I heard was that there there was a bunch in this film that was either cut out or or just wasn't uh, even filmed in the script, and you could kind of tell that and. Uh, 
it, it was sort of like something that's a little distracting too, because you hear things or see things referenced that you don't know really what they're talking about. Mm. Like they reference mm. the name of a person that they saw in, in the cotton candy when they first went on the ship. Oh yeah, Mr. Oh, yeah, Lombardo yeah. or Joe whatever. Lombardo, yeah. and yeah. I think that was the character that that went over the bridge in his car that was being run down by the because that's his. Uh. He, he said to himself, he was sort of talking to himself, and he said Joe. But uh, that was another boyfriend wow. of Debbie's. Yeah, maybe it was. <laughs> she gets around. She's she's like Cookie from Best in Show, man. She's just like. <laughs> I'm not wearing underwear. <laughs> and then there's. <laughs> Keep him up. Keep him up. <laughs> and then deal with, uh, why they had a, why they had a, a, a like a blow up raft in the back of his. Uh, oh, that was absurd. Beginning. I loved it. And there was supposedly a reason behind that that was cut off, cut out of the film. Like he was. I'm doing glad too it was much, cut. Too, much ex, too much exposition. Really, they said you don't really need to have that, but it it would have helped helped explain why there was a raft. No, I, mean, I mean, do you really need it? <laughs> I don't need anything more from this movie. Like no, here's what's great about that. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Like. No, no, that's right. You, you really—that's that, the thing. Yeah, I'm not—I'm not bothered by continuity. So there was one thing I wanted to go back and check and forgot to. And I, if, I wonder if any of you guys noticed this. After she takes the shower, mm-hmm. does she put the same clothes back on? Oh, did not. Uh, notice that. I don't think so. But no? I could okay. Be wrong. I just—I just for really some good. reason I had the idea she was wearing the same sweater after later in the oh, film that she was wearing I mean, at the beginning. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. I have to I watch the movie sweater, now again. Yeah. I'm gonna—I'm gonna watch it again tonight <laughs> we should, because. That's going to be the first Spear of God live commentary, you know. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, like, here's the thing, though. Like, if you're looking for a, and I'm this, I say this in utmost sincerity. If you are in the mood for just that party vibe, just I'm going to put something on that does not require a tremendous amount of attention, and I'm going to be hanging out with my friends, and it's okay that we're all laughing and talking and stuff like that. Killer Clowns is an ideal sort of situation yeah. from that because if you get silent for like five minutes you'll get a little bit of plot you'll get a silly line but then it's just it's a really again it asks so little of you and, and knock your block off <laughs> okay so that listen <laughs> that poor clown if there's any film if there's any death in this movie that's justified it's that d-bag over there like he smashed that clown's bike Why, did I, the horn? <laughs> I know like what is up with that and then did you did you notice in the sound edit that like when the clown is going he's like put up your nukes put up your nukes put up your nukes like it's, yeah, that's it's the subtitles or i wouldn't have heard hilarious <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny but i was like man knock this guy's block off he deserves it like that is I, so right that's so i right. love i love so Matt, I don't know how up you are on um, our episodes, but we referenced a while back the not your story for child's play that people people in films who just wander into the frame and and have a tiny bit of exposition or whatever. And it's like, okay, it's clear. It's clear that character is occupying a very different movie. (laughs) And I feel that way about Mooney because my man is in a Scorsese cop drama (laughs) and I love, I love the scene when they, I want to know, did they just tell this actor, just, just, just do your thing. He is opening the drawer of the, at the office with just like this giant flask of whatever. And he's just talking to him. He's just monologuing to himself about all the rich kids he hates. I mean, it is yeah. just gold. Some of my favorite lines. <laughs> oh man, he is, he is in a different movie, and, <laughs> and I love that. Oh, I, yeah, I, I mean, see the other movie about the the nightlife of Crescent Cove and Mooney on the Prowl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what were you saying, Matt? 
I mean, with John Vernon, I just, I just, for me, the strongest association is Dean Wormer from, from Animal House. And that's, mm. that's who I was sort of, it's like, yeah, Dean Wormer became a cop and is in this, in this movie. But part of it is just, he's, he's a better actor than any, any of yes. his non clowns in the film. That's, yes. that's the other thing that really feels, I think that may be the other reason why he feels like he wanted it for another movie because he, he wanted it for another movie where people can act even with <laughs> very little to work with. Yeah. So he oh, brings a personality to the character. Yeah. Yeah. He gets, he lives in every moment of that though. Like he chews on those lines. Like he is devouring a big juicy steak. He's just like, yeah. Oh, you're all, all of you punks and your pranks. You'll never get me. You know, like it's like in every single piece of evidence. He just completely dismisses like, Oh, really? You're in on it too. He yeah. sees the clown he is walk in the in. hard boiled. Drama, yeah. you know. I'm totally, I'm totally waiting for him to go. Like you're on double secret probation now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's great. Oh. But even yeah, like even when the freaking clown like turns his head around, Exorcist style, like Reagan Exorcist style, he turns it around because he tried to club him on the back of the head, like, yeah. and then and then it, the the clown like spins around at him, and then what does he say right before he like gets got? Is he's <clears> like. Before this night is over, you'll be begging for mercy or some, some ridiculous thing. He's just seen the head like spin around on his body. He is undeterred, completely mm -hmm. undeterred. Like, no, your mind. It's a method, you know. Well, he's been through Korea. So he can survive this. That's for that's for sure. Um, no, it's it, it, it's really funny. Yeah, so obviously, obviously, this is not a film. Uh, with a terrible lot on its mind. Um, now, I am curious, so I'm going to open the floor. And, and Blake, you mentioned something, but I'm going to open the floor for a second. Like, I got the impression, and I had I wrote a couple of things down about just like, you know, uh, the allure or attraction of certain things that can be sometimes like a trap for you. But um, but I'm curious. You seemed to express that there's there's something that, that kind of brims in the undercurrent thematically that I'd be very curious to hear about, or did I mishear you earlier? Oh, no, I, I said that there was something that might pop up, but, and it's not fully formed. I mean, nothing sure, in this sure. film is fully formed, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I got the sense as, as I was watching it, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. So it may just be me putting it on the film when it's not actually there in any kind of significant, um, significant way. But, I think for me, it's, it's interesting to see how we are so adept at taking the stereotype or the cliche or the, uh, the generality of a thing and at, for, for granted, basically. Mm. And then it, it, it comes to bite us in the end. Like they see the clowns and they think clowns, carnival, circus, happy, you know, joyful, uh, times, childhood, all these things, they're all positive things, at least for most people. <laughs> uh, except for the people who hate clowns. Yeah. Um, but we, we rely on that as certainty, um, about the nature of that thing. And I think this movie does a, uh, a ridiculous, but, but still effective job of basically turning that on its head and saying, no, don't be so sure that mm -hmm. what is on the surface is not necessarily what is actually there. Um, and you're actually, you're 
claiming a scientific certainty that is not actually reality. It's not actually metaphysically real. So, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the thought that was coming through my, my head. Well, it, what's interesting is in the line, and I don't know all the lyrics to Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the yeah. theme song. But there's a line in there where it even highlights the P.T. Barnum thing about there's a sucker born every minute, mm-hmm. you know, and that pinged for me in the song about this this idea of like, oh, yeah, that's that's how they operate is they it's it's distraction, it's illusion. And then they swoop in. It's the shadow puppet scene. Mm-hmm. It's the you know, I'm going to fire this innocent, ridiculous looking popcorn at you, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's all of those kinds of things. The, one of the more sort of dreadful moments that we've already talked about, there's some stuff in the precinct, particularly when Mooney gets got and the, the dummy Mooney and everything. But one of them, I could not remember the end result of when the girl is being lured out. I couldn't remember how that scene ended. Yeah. And I'd seen the film a couple of times, but I was sitting here, I was like, the sheet, does she bite it? I can't remember if they actually get her or not. She gets to, you know, she gets pulled back by the mom sort of at the last minute, but I couldn't remember as I was going. And it's, it's a little dreadful because you're like, Oh my gosh. Like he's totally like luring her out. And, and that did create this sort of undercurrent of the ways in which we can kind of be undone by our own certitude. And the fact that like, no, 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 I, well, I mean, Mooney is a perfect example of that kind of surrogate of just like, he knows exactly they will never make a sucker out of him. And that is precisely what positions him to be undone, at least in the context of that moment of the film. This is just his own hubris and arrogance of saying like, no, I know what's really going on. You will never make a fool out of me. And I think it's interesting, maybe just... A, a, a glance and then I'd invite more thoughts or, or anything else that anybody would have to say. But I think it's interesting that the efforts to make sure they never look foolish wind up actually making them into the fool. And the fact of like, no, 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 I am, I am absolutely never going to be made a fool of, never going to look foolish whatsoever. And it's interesting. I feel like sometimes people who are willing to maybe admit their own culpabilities, admit their own fallibilities, maybe take a little bit of a risk here or there, might actually be the savvier, wiser, more sort of mature navigators of the world, um, as opposed to what I consider to be a very immature stance of like, no, I'm always right, never going to make a fool out of me, I'm not going to be duped, I'm not going to be suckered. Um, and that actually winds up being the thing where like, you, you look and sound incredibly foolish, because of everything you are insisting and demanding is factual that that is clearly not. But um, yeah, so I, I respond to that. Does anybody else have any particular thoughts either on that strain or a different thing that killer clowns from outer space is bringing up? <laughs> I think the whole, the whole uh, plot line of Mooney probably is the deepest part of the script. Uh, mm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Cause I mean, he's, he's such a, he, um, he's a character that is, I, I love to hate him. Like, I don't want him any different. He doesn't annoy me. I love him to death in yep. this movie, but he is, he is so stereotypically bullheaded in, in the movie. And, uh, and like has already been pointed out, John Vernon is just a really strong actor in general. So he, he endows the character of Mooney, what would otherwise be a plastic stereotype 
with a bit of a, a sort of a rich inner thought process even and and that's what's so impressive about it is that Mooney the character is not thinking this through but that's clearly a credit to John Vernon's thoughtfulness with which he's approaching the role because he's he doesn't appear just plastic he feels it, the character feels lived in in a way that makes it all really satisfying at least from my perspective yeah it makes me wonder about the I mean, it is, it is a script. It's not real life, but uh, the, the, yeah. the the uh, police department in this town—they only have these two cops that they show, and neither of them is the chief. It seems like they're on the same level, though the one's yeah. more more senior, has been there a longer time, and he, and he belittles Dave, who uh, had recently been to the academy, where, and I, I guess uh, somehow <laughs> Mooney had gotten onto the force without having to go to the academy, and he. Well, he fought in Korea. But he fought in Korea. I guess that's how he got his on-the-job training, being in the army. Yeah, yeah. He he very much reminds me of a police squad style character. Yeah, I I agree with that. Was that around that time in '87? Uh, Um, Police, police squad. I think was earlier. Police Police academy. I think started Uh, what '81, '82. Yeah. and that I don't know. That's not police related, squad. but that still might have inspired Killer Clowns and the, the police there. But uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. Killer Clowns is like the the nexus event for so many cinematic touch yeah. points. Inspired so many police uh... <laughs> procedurals. <laughs> police procedurals. <laughs> Mission to life. Moscow, man. <laughs> well, I will say that something that you know. <laughs> God, I can't believe I'm going to try to wrangle some <laughs> meaning out of this. But something the movie does that is smart is it is it leans in to to this thing and 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 the the sort of dichotomy that's come into mind that's that's that I, that is malformed uh, like a like a tendrilled clown head out of your hamper is the dichotomy the dissonance between form and intent and what I mean by that is why on earth because this was this was the thought that was the, the brain train that was coming to me a, a couple minutes ago is like why on earth at any time did we ever sort of convince ourselves collectively that clowns were okay right so so that's sort of the question mark which isn't to be so cynical as to say nothing bearing this level of artifice of 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 makeup and and big smile and hair like that that's not meant and can't have a joyful uh, uh essence to it but as a society, we have decided, no, in fact, it is the opposite. It is nefarious. It is, you know, malicious in its intent. And <clears throat> so I'm thinking of just iconography in art and film and whatnot. And I'm going to make a parallel here because like you see a clown in a film and nine out of 10 times, you know, okay, it may not be uh, a strong language here. It may not be a pedophile, but <laughs> it's not, it's not a, a good guy either you know what i mean like like that's the iconography that's that's meant to register that and i thought about this recently um and we don't i won't linger long here but my wife and i just watched mayor of east town on hbo and there's a there's a priest character and you're like something's up with him and mm-hmm. and it's just it's just the the way we tell our stories and it's on the one hand i want to fight against that cynicism right that 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 assumes icon- iconography signals intent but but and it's shorthand it's it's storytelling shorthand it's oh a clown oh let's let's lean in hard and make this pennywise let's lean in hard and make them you know kind of cannibalistic alien creatures it's you're just taking it to this new level uh but 
I don't know. I don't know. So I'm, I'm not land. I'm not going to land anywhere real specific other than what is sort of kind of coming to me is just this, this dissonance between the form we choose to give things in our, in our storytelling and in the stories in our own minds, in our imaginations and, and what the essences are and how those are dichotomous often. Um, because it takes work and I'm sorry to keep talking here, but it's just coming to me in, in real time. But like, using that priest analogy read, I think of a film like Calvary and it's like, it requires work to, to subvert the subversion. Right. Of course. And how kind of wild that is. And actually a really good film about in a similar vein is, is Joker is Todd Phillips Joker. It's the clown. It's it's you're taking the thing we've applied the maliciousness to it. And now we're subverting it back and trying to root it into some sort of, you know, I don't mean to suggest real world per se, but, you know, like trying to find character and heart and humanity in that. And, and I just find that, I don't know, I find it interesting, the, the the form versus intent kind of idea and how we synchronize or don't those things in the in what we consume as it promotes cynicism, blah, blah, blah. So it's a weird, really brain train that I'm on. Just to respond a little bit, I mean, I, I think I would take your, I take your point more with regards to priests, maybe. Um, the sure. thing about clowns is... They're just not very common uh, in most situations. So if you're sure. going to bother to bring a clown into the story at all, in most cases, it's because you're going to do something with them. And, and that's where you're probably going to go to a, a dark place rather than a, a cheerful place, because mm-hmm. it would just be odd to have a good clown in a, in a, in a movie in most right. cases. <laughs> where would it come from? Why would it what, be there? Tell that story, Matt. Take your notes. <laughs> What is the good clown story? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think this this may be a case where that's probably why. If it, if it seems like there's a you know a, a an excess of evil clowns in movies, it's because if if there's a clown in the movie at all, it's probably there for a, a reason to do something bad. If if right. yeah. Mm-hmm. If you don't need if you don't need somebody to steal children, then you're not going to bring the clown in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and or to be the punchline, yeah. 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 Well, and I mean, like, it's, it's interesting to me, like, the, the association, at least linguistically, when we say clowning around, and that's mm-hmm. meant to be like playfulness you know that and like provo- eating people. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, like, we all know, right? That means, Ooh. you know, snake, snake <laughs> monsters in your toilet, right? Like, oh my God. Flush, flush. <laughs> but I mean, it's like the, what's interesting is the way that those forms do evolve over time. It is interesting that, that, clowns at least at some point in the you know circus history or whatever used to be you know profoundly synonymous with like foolery and again clowning around meant like a certain playfulness or a certain sort of uh silly slapstick uh kind of uh uh, immaturity if you will um and uh and it's interesting how bozo is a very kind clown sure (laughs) (laughs) The grand prize game. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like at, at some point though, it comes around that I, I think there is a degree to which playfulness, I, I just used the word immaturity. And I think there's a degree to which immaturity in certain contexts is, is bad. But I think more than anything else, certain words and certain perspectives or certain uh, conditions begin to take on more of a negative connotation. Like, there are certain things... I I cannot think right now of a place to where you would call something immature 
that it wasn't at least passive, if not outright negative. You know, when all that really means is that it just hasn't become fully formed yet. But we tend to see that in more of a negative light, or we tend to see that in more of a downplayed light. And what I think is interesting, like we were talking about Mooney earlier, and and that's, you know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna credit this script with being like thoughtful or sensitive around the Mooney character. But I do find it interesting the fact that like his whole modus operandi is that he will not be made a fool of in a film where the main threat and main villain is most associated with like fooleries and foolishness and clowning Mm -hmm. around. And again, I don't know that I think that's just baked into the metaphor of clowning more so than it is the Kyoto brothers script, you know, but, but I do think that, um, that is, that is an interesting thing for us as thoughtful, mature adults to consider the ways in which, uh, we, we might be putting negative staples, negative associations, negative connotations onto things. Uh, and, and we've somehow divorced ourselves from what they either, either the roots of their, uh, of, of their meaning, uh, or what they used to, uh, hold place culturally or in our own imaginations. That's why we reach a point to where, yeah, now I think a priest in in film and television, a priest is more frequently associated with a character of distrust than with, uh, which again, my favorite, I've said it more times than I can count. My favorite movie is The Exorcist and, and remains one of my favorite things is that, you know, Father Marin and even Father Karras, they are figures of justice and right and good and that is becoming more of a rarity anymore especially in a horror film or anything like that you see a priest show up that's going to be a character of distrust and and not a character of hope or a character to bring uh like healing or peace or whatever and the same thing with clowns you see a clown show up and that's going to be something well particularly because they're they're usually seen like well i think even in the daytime they'd be creepy but they're usually shown at night like they're usually showing them like in the shadows and it's like Holy crap, that looks unnatural. Like that just, that, that's not computing. Uh, I think Matt, you had said like it's, it's just not all that common anymore to see like well, it's there's, not a, there's also the uncanny valley effect that they're human, but they're not quite human. And, right. Yeah. So, right. Their shapes and forms are exaggerated. Their, their feet are large. They're, you know, like the, uh, their, their nose is, you know, not the way that a nose is supposed to be shaped. And, and right. so, and so, yeah, I, I agree with that, that there's this something that's just sort of psychologically disconnected about our view of them. And, um, yeah. And I mean, I, Speak, I, I yeah, speaking of noses, noses, okay. we can't, we can't <laughs> ignore that this film's conflict resolves with King Koopa holding little Dave and how he defeats bowser is taking his dumb police badge off and popping his nose popping the nose yeah that's That's the center of it all no that one was invincible to the gun like the other ones could be done in with the gun but you need the power of a police badge to take out that (laughs) there's a metaphor (laughs) (laughs) let's not follow that one too far (laughs) we don't have time (laughs) so this um this conclusion defund the police right around up in here oh wow <laughs> no it's um so but no the, uh, this, this feels like uh, perhaps the moment where i would uh, i would say you know like if anybody has any particular thing that they'd like to say maybe maybe speak now or if not we can move over to the fog meter was there any was there any depths we did not yet mine of killer clowns from outer space 
in our in our thoughtful discussions here. Anybody? Well, I do just want to congratulate uh, Nathan on his uh, on his archetype uh, the theme. Uh, yeah. if, if if I didn't feel like I was going to break my microphone, I would have dropped it. So instead, <laughs> I'll just do this. perfect perfect perfection um okay so we'll we'll move things to the fog meter our uh, patent pending metric of fear and god where we rate these films on their scares and their substance yes we are about to do so for killer clowns of outer space um so blake i'm gonna come to you first uh for the fear measurement how scary the thing is, unnerving, unsettling, you know the deal. What do you give it on a scale of 1 to 10, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, on the fear measurement? I think this is the kind of movie that, that actually causes y'all's metric to break down a little bit. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Blake. Because it's not terribly scary. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a 4 for yep. scary, because there, there are a few moments, like the dummy um, and like the cotton candy... Uh, scenes and, and and for whatever reason the the shadow play sticks in my mind to this day I don't know why um, it's sure. not particularly scary but it's iconic I guess mm-hmm. um, there there there's enough in there to say it's it's at least dreadful or scary so I'm gonna right. give it four okay cool uh, Matt what would you give it for the fear measurement I, I think four is about right too I'm tempted to give it one more just for the potential to to mess with the idea in your own head after you've watched it so maybe yeah. I'm five <laughs> but but yeah it's not very scary but I I don't care <laughs> <laughs> right uh, concurred concurred um Steve what would you give it for fear I give it a six mm. um I think it's 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 definitely uh classified as a horror movie but it, it, it's uh it's a uh, PG-13 is what they gave it, but uh, I don't think it's really over the line too far in PG-13. It could have been PG. I, I wouldn't have questioned it too much. Um, so I think it would be scarier if you're a kid, like I was a kid when I first watched it. So mm-hmm. that's, I think it's still scary, but it's uh, it's it's uneven tone kind of leaves you not being too uh, traumatized at all by it. Understood. Understood. What would you give it, Nathan? I'm going to risk misusing this word, but I feel like it's got a very uh, Proustian quality to it. um, And I'm not really joking. Uh, I mean, I I think for the the wrong audience at the wrong moment or the right audience at the wrong moment, it could really jack you up. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I imagine if my kids caught glimpse of that and or, you know, like I I identified for myself at a particular age. Um, So for pure that kind of aspect to it i'll go with the six which i do think is slightly slightly kind uh but feels appropriate sure um i think i'm landing for for lots of the reasons that have already been said i'm gonna split the i'm gonna split the middle here i'm gonna go five um and i think it's because yeah i think uh i like the way you said that that like the right audience at the wrong time this could be a, a pretty scary film um so I'm going to I'm going to kick the door down on the god meter which is our measurement of substance <laughs> and the thing that this has on its mind um baked in baked purely into metaphor alone I think the things are maybe there if you're the kind of thoughtful people who will sort of extrapolate sort of meaning from it but I have no illusions that killer clowns from outer space has anything substantive on its mind so on the god meter I'm giving it a 2 um now Nathan what say you for this film's substance it's god factor i'm gonna drop some popcorn in your toilet and go for a one 
that that had to drop popcorn in my toilet huh that's uh, (laughs) and it had to be there there's nothing here (laughs) (laughs) um but a raft and a trunk you know (laughs) um steve what would you give it i give it a four out of ten all right all right as much as we talked about uh mooney and and his uh his uh what he's got going on in his head and uh what did him in finally i think that gives it enough to give it a four fair enough steve beckley yeah fair enough matt what are you thinking i'm i'm angling to give it it, this is this is generous too but i think i'll go with four as well more Mm. just for the fact that the mythology of the clowns just had an interesting depth to it like it wasn't a one joke movie and if it had been we wouldn't be talking about it it's the the fact that even if there was nothing else there, the the clowns really were that. That was just they kept coming up with new stuff to do, and I, I, yeah, that's that's what makes it. And there's a, there's some thought in that. It's just that's all there is. So sure, I'll get before. Yeah. No, no, I, I I agree and applaud your generosity there, Blake. Take us home. What is your god meter for it? Yeah, I, I think I'm about to go with a four also, but I will say that these are the kinds of movies that I love thinking about to the point of trying to find something deep and right. and fascinating about it. Like everyone can say something about Raging Bull or The Shining or anything like that. Those are pretty easy to pick something, you know, deep and thematic from, but can everyone pull something from <laughs> Killer Clowns from Outer Space? I'm fair not even point. sure if I can. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair enough. And that means aggregated. We give Killer Clowns from Outer Space a four out of 10 on the fog meter, rating its fears and its substance substance. Um, but I think the really the more pressing and important question um, is, would we recommend Killer Clowns from Outer Space for consumption? Matt, I got to go to you first. Would you recommend Killer Clowns from Outer Space for people to watch? For a certain kind of person, like I, you know, I, I thought about asking my wife to watch this mythy, and I realized she just would not have enjoyed it at all. It's just <laughs> that it, it's like if the if the clown stuff doesn't work for you, if if you don't find it clever and interesting, then you're gonna you're just gonna be like, why why did you make me look at this? But if you're the kind of person who can like this movie, I guess it's kind of like what I was saying about Stranger Things, except in this case, it really is to my taste. You're the kind of movie, if you're the kind of person who would like this movie, yes, you will like this movie and I recommend it. Yeah, no, I completely <laughs> agree. I completely agree. Uh, so. Steve, what do you what do you think? Do you recommend Killer Clowns? I think for general audience general audiences, I would not recommend it. I remember when I was a kid and I was watching it on the premium cable channels, I, the rest of my family would hear about this title and like, no, that doesn't look good or even <laughs> catch a glimpse on it like, no, don't watch that. But right. I would watch it by myself anyway. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, just going off of that experience and, and knowing what it contains, I wouldn't generally recommend it. But to the uh, like the hardcore, like uh, drive-in style, grindhouse style yeah. horror fan, I think it would really be something worth watching. So yep. with that caveat, that nope, that makes a lot of sense. Blake, you recommend it? No caveats. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Done. Oh, man, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <to everybody. laughs> That's awesome. Nathan, you you recommend Killer Clowns? <laughs> you define the word recommend. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's you gotta applaud its audacity and yes. kind of you know for for our people, sure. <laughs> for, for normal people 
No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It would not wait you well. <laughs> yeah, I would. I think my answer to it will be this. Hear the title, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And if your immediate reaction is, well, that sounds fun, please watch it. You will have a good time. <laughs> if your immediate reaction is, no, thank you, then yeah, sure, don't bother. <laughs> but if your immediate reaction is, that sounds ridiculous and fun, then yes, you should watch this because it is absolutely all of those things. The, the, the song is stuck in my head right now. Not even just... <laughs> Not even just the theme songs, the Killer Clowns, but the but the whole like whenever they're making their way into the town. This like super saturated grungy guitar. You're gonna ear you're gonna earworm me through that now. It's so great! It's so great! I love it. Well, this has been a real blast, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here. This concludes another installment in our '80s party our summer 80s party and uh we thank you all listeners very much for being here special thank you to matt ruff blake collier and steve beckley thank you so much for taking your time to watch this as always thank you so much nathan rouse um and as we say on every single episode fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing next week we are hitting up Stranger Things Season 3, Episodes 7 and 8, and that is all we are doing. We are rounding it home in Hawkins for Stranger Things Season 3. We will see you back for the conclusion of our 80s party and for the conclusion of Stranger Things. Cannot thank you enough again, gentlemen, for staying up late with us to talk about Killer Clowns. Thank you, listener. We'll see you all next week. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.